If you are able, I invite you to stand for the reading of God's Word. We'll read from Exodus 4. God has come to Moses. He's revealed himself as the covenant Lord, and he has said, I want you to go back to Israel. I want you to lead my people out away from the Egyptians, away from Pharaoh. Then Moses answered, but, but behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice. They will say, the Lord did not appear to you. And the Lord said to him, what is that in your hand? And Moses said, it's a staff. And he said, throw it on the ground. So Moses threw it on the ground and it became a serpent and Moses ran from it. But the Lord said to Moses, put out your hand and catch it by the tail. So he put out his hands and he caught it and it became a staff in his hand that they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has appeared to you. And again, the Lord said to him, put your hand inside your cloak. And so he put his hand inside of his cloak. And when he took it out, behold, his hand was leprous like snow. Then God said, put your hand back inside your cloak. So he put his hand back inside of his cloak, and when he took it out, behold, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. If they will not believe you, God said, or listen to the first sign, they may believe even these two, or they may believe the latter sign. If they will not believe even these two signs, or listen to your voice, you shall take some water from the Nile, pour it on the dry ground, and the water that you take from the Nile will become blood on the dry ground. But Moses said to the Lord, Oh, my Lord, I am not eloquent either in the past or since you've spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and tongue. Then the Lord said to him, who has made, God's who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now, therefore, go, and I will be with your mouth, and I will teach you what you shall speak. But Moses said, Oh, my Lord, please. Send someone else. Then the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses, and God said to him, Is there not Aaron, your brother, the Levite? I know that he can speak well. Behold, he is coming out to meet you, and when he sees you, he will be glad in his heart. You will speak to him and put words in his mouth, and I will be with your mouth and with his mouth, and will teach you both what to do. He shall speak for you to the people, and he shall be your mouth. And you shall be as God to him, and take in your hand this staff with which you shall do the signs. Thus far in the reading of the Lord or of the word, this is the word of the Lord. Lord, as we come to this, as we consider our callings in light of your word, as we consider your graciousness and our response, Holy Spirit, we ask that you would take the potent and powerful word of the Lord. And sow it deeply into uh, the soil of our hearts. Father, we recognize that some soil receives uh, the seeds so well. Other soil is thorny. Other soil is hard and would reject this. But Holy Spirit, we know that you are the one who can even make the, the hardest, rockiest, thorniest places a, a fertile field. So we pray that you would do that this morning. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. 
so grateful to the Eldersvelds for, for sharing their story. It just puts that, that question of calling very much in line uh, for us this morning. And I think with, with their story uh, and with all of us, we recognize there's an ongoing nature to it. Um, you know, what, what is going to be the outcome of their journey? We don't know as we stand right here. We want to come alongside of them and continue to pray for them. But as we've already seen, there's uncertainty, things change, things go in a different direction. We just don't know what the outcome of that is. The same thing is true with all of our callings, whether they are the general calling to follow Jesus, uh, to be a good neighbor, uh, to be an honest employee, to be a, a light uh, in your place of employment, whatever those callings might be, we don't know what twist and turn. When you walk out your door in the morning, you have no idea what God has in store for you. But our specific callings as well, and some of us I know are facing very difficult specific callings. You know, there is the difficulty of aging. You, you are called to steward your years. You're called to steward your, your illnesses and uh, the breakdown of your body. What does that look like? How do I do that well? Uh, there's the calling to relationship. We're, we're called to be fathers and mothers and sons and daughters and friends and brothers and sisters and all of those things. And that is not easy. Uh, I think all of us can, can sit and say there are, there are places, there are relationships that I am called to enter into that I don't know what the outcome of that will be. And, uh, but I suspect it's going to be a very difficult upward climb. Moses faces a difficult upward climb. Moses, as we have said last week, uh, has now been uh, away from Egypt in the wilderness of Midian for 40 years. God has come to him now and is asking him to leave this very comfortable life that he has established there in Midian. He has a wife, he has children, he has a father-in-law who loves him, he has a vocation, a calling, all of these different things that he is working out. And God is saying, I want you to go back to that place where everything got messed up. I want you to go back to the Pharaoh, who you know, uh, I want you to go to him and say, let, you know, my people go, the slave nation who butters your bread, so to speak. I want you to go back to the Israelites who have already rejected you uh, as a leader. I want you to go back and I want you to lead my people out. Now, we can forgive Moses a little bit. <laughs> For, for being a bit recalcitrant, you know, for saying, but, you know, like, God, have you considered all of these things that are in my life? And I want to dive into this because I think as we understand Moses' heart in responding to God, and we see how God graciously responds to him, we understand a little bit of what our heart is like. Uh, as God comes to us in all of our callings, general, specific, big, little, all of the things that we've talked about. So first of all, the timidity of our hearts. Our hearts are fearful. Uh, we see this in a couple of different ways with Moses, and, and you really see a progression of it with Moses. You remember Moses has started asking questions back in, in chapter 3. Who are you? Who am I? And, and now he asks more questions. Uh, he is looking 
for excuses or he's looking for reasons why he shouldn't follow God's will. And we see that in verse 1. In verse 1, he says to the Lord, But behold, these Israelites will not believe me or listen to my voice, for they will say, The Lord will not appear, did not appear to you. Moses is looking at his past failure. You remember, he beat up that Egyptian, killed him, buried him. Uh, he tried to affect leadership before it was time. Uh, and, and now Moses is saying, that people who you're asking me to lead, they're, they're not going to listen to me. Uh, but th there, there's a circumstance, there's an external circumstance that is going to prevent me from following this call. And, and this is one of the things that we do all the time. Uh, I mean, you, you heard with John and Courtney, uh, you know, some of the thoughts that go through their mind. Uh, like, are we going to have money for this? Uh, you know, what is this going to do to our family life? There's all of these different things uh, externally that we, we question. We begin to say, can, I, can this really happen? And then there are obstacles like adoption agencies and countries closing and all of these different things. And there are always so many reasons out there for us to say, God, you, you shouldn't send me. You, you should send somebody else. Just like Moses, we, we look externally and we say, this is just not going to work. But then it's not only external for Moses. Notice he also looks internally. You see that in verse 10. But Moses said to the Lord, this is now his fourth sort of question slash objection. Oh, my Lord, I'm not eloquent, either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant, but I'm slow of speech and tongue. I, I don't think what Moses is talking about here is his ability to string together a sentence. I, I think he's actually talking about like a speech defect. I'm, I'm slow of speech. Uh, we see that partially because the way that God answers him speaks to things like muteness, deafness, seeing, uh, blindness, that kind of thing. Moses seems to have a, some sort of disability when it comes to speaking. A and basically what he's saying is, God, you, you messed up when you made me. I don't have the gifts to be able to pull off what you are asking me to do. You're asking me to go and speak. You're asking me to go and say this, but you haven't equipped me with what I need to do this. And I look at that and I say, man, I am so much like Moses. Uh, because when I feel a call towards something, you know, once I'm done looking at the external reasons why I can't do it, I'm so free to look at the internal reasons and say, you know, if only I were taller. Uh, if only I, I had more ability, if I could, you know, play music or keep a tune or any of those different things, if only I could do these things, then I could do what you're calling. You know, I think, you know, you again, you heard that with John and Courtney, you know, like, do I have it in me to be the parent to a child that I didn't give birth to? Do I, do I have it in me to, to bring into my home somebody that might be at risk. We look at ourselves and we're asking the question, do I have it in me? But there's this journey, and I think we see it with Moses. Who am I? Who are you? But this people won't believe me, but you know, you haven't equipped me with the right gifts. We finally get to verse 13, and, and we really see the bottom of Moses' heart. And listen, 
we're, we're not hard on Moses because we see to the bottom of our own hearts too, right? Moses' ultimate objection is, you know, God, I don't want to do it. Will you please send somebody else? As we face our callings, we recognize that our tendency is towards unbelief. Our tendency is to say, God, I'm not prepared for this. You, there, there's somebody else who's better for this. Please don't send me. Send somebody else. There's an honesty, I think, with the scriptures here that just really help us to recognize that as we address our calls, uh, we're really addressing our hearts. God is always inviting us to believe him. You know, as we examine a problem, our, our question shouldn't be, you know, can this be done, you know, or do I have the ability to do it? Our, our question should really be, is God in it? Is God calling me to this? Is this something that shows forth his will? Is this something that, that he has put in such a way that we begin to embrace and we begin to have confidence to move forward? Because what God is after is our heart. He's after that surrender. Not the verse 13 that says somebody else. But he's after the heart that says, okay, I have no idea how this is going to happen, but I'm willing. I I'm willing to move forward. I'm willing to take the step. Uh, I don't know the beginning from the end, but I trust that you do, that you have the way, that you have the path. And that's really what God then uh, shows to Moses. And this is our second point. You know, though our hearts are timid, uh, and they resist uh, the call of God. God, as our head, is tenacious. He continues to come after us with, with such grace and with such goodness. He does it in a couple of ways. First of all, he shows us his power to overcome the obstacles. Uh, and in this case, particularly the obstacles of the culture that has set itself against the people of God. So Moses has the questions. God uh, invites him to trust him by giving him some signs, right? Uh, he says, what's that in your hand? Well, it's a staff. Throw your staff on the ground. And he throws the staff on the ground and it becomes a serpent. And incidentally, note that this is not your ordinary garden variety snake, right? This is a serpent. Moses runs away from it. Moses has been a shepherd for 40 years. He knows all the types of, of adders that are out in the wilderness, and he knows that this is one that you don't get close to, uh, and, and he gets away from that. Uh, so he does that. God shows him. Now, what is God showing him through that? Remember, I mentioned that one of the signs of Egyptians uh, one of their gods, in fact, it was on the Pharaoh's headdress, was the, uh, the hooded cobra who was ready to strike, right? And I think there's a good possibility that the snake that was in the ground there certainly would have been that same hooded cobra. And as God gives him this sign, he is saying, look it, you can throw this down, I'll make it into a cobra, you can pick it up, 
uh, and it will become a stick again. The power of the snake has no power over you. Moses certainly would have seen that more than just a, a reptile, right? And the same thing with the leprous hand. As God says, put your hand in your cloak, and he brings it out. It's leprosy. One of the other great things that Egypt was known for, in addition to its, its might and power, was its intellect. Uh, many of you who have studied Egyptian culture, you know that they were uh, so far advanced. We marvel at you know, how they put together those pyramids and, and all of the different things. Well, they're, they're medical, you know, they're embalming, the way that they took your brain out through your nose and all of these different things. They, they understood the human body, but they had no cure for leprosy. Uh, and, and in fact, leprosy ravaged Egyptian society. A and so here God gives him a sign that says, look it, I can handle leprosy. I can create it. I can decreate it. You know, restored to real life. God says, I, I've got this. I've got the power over the snake. I've got the power over the leprosy. And then you take the Nile. The Nile was the center of Egyptian life. The Nile was what made Egypt, Egypt. You know, it was it's overflowing its banks. It's the 20 feet of silt. It gives it all of its prosperity. It's what made it the breadbasket of that arid area all around it. The Nile was the source of life. For the Egyptians, and God said, you know, take this water, pour it out, and I'll make it blood. This thing that they believe is life, this thing that everybody circles around, I can make it death in just one twist of the wrist. God shows his power. He says, look at all of these questions that you have, this power, uh, the, this cultural oppression that you have from the Egyptians, I can make it as dust in a second. You can trust me. Uh, you have questions about going forward. You can trust me. The second thing that's really interesting about this is that he encourages Moses to go forward. So the tenacity of our head to encourage us to go forward trusting him even in our weakness and vulnerability. I mean, you certainly heard that, you know, with John and Courtney is talking about some of the questions and the weakness and vulnerability and saw the emotion and the way that that happens. And we recognize that in our own lives and in our testimony. But that's what I love about these signs. Like when God tells Moses, let me, first of all, how many of you are terrified of snakes? Uh, there, there's a few of you. I know my Moses is terrified of snakes. Uh, there are a few of you that are terrified of snakes. How many of you have ever picked up a snake before? Where do you pick up a snake? By its head, right? I mean, you don't pick up a snake by its tail. I mean, if you pick up a snake by its tail, you are in the most vulnerable position with that snake. It can whip around and strike you. And particularly a snake like this that Moses is afraid of, you know, the, the striking cobra, you don't pick up a snake by the tail. But this is what God tells Moses to do in your vulnerability. Go and pick up that snake. When Moses put his hand in his cloak and he brought it out in his leprosy, he must have been terrified. I mean, that's a death sentence right there in your hand. And now God says, do this very same thing that just brought death into your body. Put your hand back into your cloak. You're like, uh-uh, can we go to a river and wash? I mean, can we have some other way to do this rather than asking me to do the same thing? 
But God counterintuitively asks him to do the very same thing. God, God doesn't do things always that make sense. But when he pulls it out, the very place where death had come first now was a place of restoration and life. The Nile, right? He, he's saying, go and take some water. And he doesn't even demonstrate this one. He just says, do it. You know, fly blind on this one, Moses. I'm going to give you a sign, but I'm not even going to prove to you that I can do it. You're just going to have to trust me and fly blind. And so now here's Moses in front of Pharaoh and all of his counselors, takes some water out of the Nile. He's never seen God do this one, right? Pour it out. I, I, do you really believe? Even the tongue is so interesting, you know, assuming that Moses actually has a stuttering problem of some sort. Uh, God doesn't fix it. God doesn't say, hey, I'll take care of that. You will now be eloquent. What does God say to him? He says, I will be with you. I will be with your mouth. I will come alongside of you. And, and this is what we see here. As we see the tenacity of our head, we recognize that God isn't interested in our strength. He's not interested in our ability to do all of these things that make sense. God comes to us and asks us to trust him even when it's counterintuitive. Even when you shouldn't pick up a snake by the tail. He says, trust me. Because I will be with you. What's the name of I will be with you? It's Emmanuel, right? God with you us. And this is the story of the gospel from the beginning to the end. We run away, God finds us. You know, whether it's in the garden, man sins, they hide, God comes and he seeks them out. Adam, Adam, where are you? Whether it's here, Moses, seeking to run away from God, God keeps pursuing him and says, I will be with you. Trust me. Rely on me. All the way to the point where God comes from heaven, Emmanuel, God with us and makes his dwelling as a human being. And you know what that human being did? He crushed the head of a serpent. You know, from the very beginning, God said to the serpent, the seed of the woman is going to crush your head. The serpent has no power over us. God crushed the head of the serpent, through his weakness and vulnerability on the cross, he crushed the head. The empty tomb stands as a sign of the power of God over the principalities and powers that would align themselves against them. God restored our leprous hearts. God went to the cross in order to die, in order to become sin, in order that we might become the righteousness of God, that we who were old and wizened and sick with sin would become young and fresh and new again because of the righteousness of Christ. He poured out his own blood so that we would be delivered and this place of death would become a place of life a river that flows to the testimony of the healing power of God. The Lord Jesus is our head. And God is saying, do you trust me? Now again, some of you are at the very beginning of this call of following Jesus. And, and that's what he's saying. He's like, 
will you trust me? Look, here is my power. Here it is. There is a sign for you. There is an empty tomb. Nobody has ever found the body of Jesus. There is an empty tomb standing as a sign of my power. Will you follow me? And he continues to come to us in the midst of our journeys, in the midst of our calls, and says, I have power. I have power over all of the principalities and powers that exist in heaven. I certainly have powers over the things that confound us in life. I have powers over agencies. I have powers over, you know, politics and government. I have power over all of these things. You don't need to fear these things. I am with you. I am with you. And the third thing that we see here is that there's a real tenderness to this. There's a real subtlety here in verses 10 and in verse 13. You remember last week, Bryant talked to us about God coming as the covenant God. We oftentimes use that language. We had baptism this morning, the 830 service. We talk about, you know, the covenant being made, uh, the sign of the covenant being given to a child. A covenant is, a, is an intimate relationship uh, and a promise within that. Uh, there's, there's a tenderness to this covenant. And, and when God reveals himself to Moses and to the Israelites, he comes to them by means of a covenant. Uh, and, and he reveals himself intimately, his name, I am who I am. He goes to the very heart of who he is. So that's how God revealed himself to Moses. But that's not how Moses receives the guidance of the Lord. Look at verse 10. Some of you know that uh, in the scriptures, there's different words for Lord. Uh, there's Yahweh or Jehovah, which is the covenant name of God. And all throughout this, we, we see the covenant name of God being used. One of the ways you can tell that, like in verse 10, is you see uh, the Lord is all in capital letters. So that's translating the Hebrew Yahweh. Um, but then look at how Moses responds to him. Uh, Moses said to Yahweh, O oh my Lord. Now, if you look closely, you see that that one's not capitalized. That, that's translating the, the idea of Adonai, uh, which is something that would be used uh, between a slave and a master. Uh, it speaks to like a sovereignty uh, there's not the intimacy of relationship, but there's more of an idea of just obeying. So Moses says to Yahweh, O oh my Adonai, I am not eloquent. Uh, and then again in verse 13, but he says, O oh my Adonai, please send someone else. Part of the thing that God is really inviting us to see here is that so much of our hesitation in following the Lord is because we have not rightly seen him as our Yahweh. And we treat him more as our Adonai. We, we treat him more like a master to a slave rather than as a tender, loving, compassionate father. If you knew that the hard thing that God was asking you to do was not just a matter of sheer obedience, but was an invitation 
to learn more deeply his heart. If you really believe that it was the best thing for you, that God was asking you to move into a space that was going to help you flourish, that was going to be full of kindness, even in the midst of difficulty. If we really knew that, we could obey even unto death. And this is exactly the path that our Savior tried. Two times in his life, both at his baptism and at his transfiguration, the heavens opened. And the voice of God came out and said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And you know that Jesus went to the cross. Why? Because he loved his Father. And he knew his Father loved him. Every time he prays over the course of his life, he always addresses him as Father, except for one time. You know when that one time was? It's the fourth word of the cross, the cry of dereliction, where he says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It is there where he is identifying most with our sinful nature, where he is is taking the brunt of God's wrath against sin. It is there and there only that he doesn't address God as his Father. Otherwise, it is the love of the Father that carries him on. And brothers and sisters, you know, God asks us to follow him into very difficult places. But he never asks for a sheer sort of obedience of the will. He always asks because he loves us. He always asks Because he is our Yahweh. He is our covenant God. And he will be with us. I love in chapter 3, I think it's verse 11 and 12. Moses says, you know, but who am I to go up to Pharaoh and ask him to let the people go? And God says in verse 12, but I will be with you. I, I, who who am all-powerful, I... Who, who, who can meet you even in the most unconventional of circumstances. <coughs> I who love you and have laid down my life for you. My child, what do you have to fear? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this word and, and how it meets us. We, we confess that with Moses we're full of fear. Uh, our hearts are so timid. Uh, we, we lean away from you. But Father, we are grasping on to your tenacity and to your tenderness, how you reveal yourself to us. That even in the most difficult of things that you are calling us to, you will be with us. You'll be with our tongues. You'll be with our hands. You'll be with every part of us. And you will enable us to go forward with a strength that we could never have in ourselves, and a strength that could never conquer the external obstacles on their own, but with a strength in you that can do all things. Father, we pray, help us to surrender to this goodness. Help us to surrender to your call in our life. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.